truly amazing stories that's in the Bible. And, uh, you know, if you haven't been around, and we look at a different passage of the Bible every week in RUF, and we usually work through a portion of Scripture. And what we've been seeing is we started with the creation this, at the beginning of this semester, and we saw uh, God creating a good world that he loved, and then we saw Adam and Eve, God's prized possession, his, uh, the crown jewel of his creation, uh, and how their life was with him until they turned and rebelled against God, and we saw the world falling apart. And that was that thing, I think. Um, and uh, we saw the world become very sad. But in the moment that the world became sad and chaotic and, you know, everything about our world that we don't like, what we saw is God entering in uh, to save his people, uh, to, to set the world right that he created, which was good. And, and what we've seen in the last couple of weeks is that the way God is actually, like, specifically doing that in the Old Testament is that, he has chosen a man who, not a particularly good compared to you or me, uh, but God has set his, uh, he, he, we looked at how he called Abraham and he said, Abraham, through you, through your family, I'm going to bless the whole world. I'm going to start this thing now, which is going to go on for a long, long time. But through you in your family, uh, I'm going to extend my grace everywhere. And so that's the promise that's looming in the background as we come to this amazing story that uh, some of you I'm sure have heard before, but maybe new to others of you. So um, let's read it together and spend some time in it. Uh, Genesis 22. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, he said, here am I. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son, Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I, uh, I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, to his father Abraham, My father. And he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will, will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. And when they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here am I. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, 
By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Uh, Pray with me briefly. Uh, Heavenly Father, as we come to your word now, we thank you for it. Uh, We thank you for the way you reveal yourself to us in it. And we pray that you guide us now in our time with it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay, poll, quick poll. Someone's out. Come on in. You're fine. (laughs) Uh, Quick poll for the crowd. How many of you, if I said, we're going to go, like, Training, all this is not an issue, but we're going to go skydiving tomorrow. How many of you would say yes? Wow, more than I thought. Um, there's, there's like a spring weekend skydiving event. Did you know that? Someone's going to skydive onto the lawn out there? Anyway, uh, I, would not, I would definitely not skydive tomorrow. You guys are insane who said you would do that. Um, but, you know... The thing about skydiving is that it's easy to sit, you know, for someone like me who's scared of skydiving, uh, it would be easy to kind of say, like, yeah, I know that skydiving is safe. Like, I, I know that it's safe. Uh, plenty of people do it. No one ever dies doing it, barely ever, not that I know of. <laughs> you know, it probably hasn't happened much. But uh, there's a big difference between me saying, like, yeah, it's a safe thing to do. Plenty of people do it. And then there's a difference between that and jumping out of a plane, Right. Like you have, there's a sense in which like some of you who raise your hands probably wouldn't actually do it tomorrow, <laughs> right? Uh, there's a sense in which you have to kind of put your money where your mouth is. And what I want us to think about tonight is that uh, is the idea of following God in terms of kind of that idea of skydiving, where uh, there's this concept of faith, faith, and faith is hard, right? It's hard to come to a place where you're like, yeah, like God, I'm on board with God. What He says is true. He can be trusted. And so that's hard enough, and obedience, you know, actually following him is much harder still, right? So there's kind of a difference. You kind of have to put your money where your mouth is there, too. And uh, something I highlighted at the beginning of the semester when we started studying Genesis is that this is a book written to a people that are wandering in the wilderness toward the promised land. It was a book written to the descendants of Abraham. So they're reading about their heritage and how they arrived at this place. And it's written to a people. These people are in the wilderness, and they have a very hard life. They're following God, but it's really hard. They don't have a home. They often are short of food, or they're often short of water. And it's a really difficult life. And, but as the story has progressed, what they've heard over and over is that God will provide. God will be gracious. God can be trusted no matter how difficult or how great the test of faith. Because no matter how great that test is, God is greater still. So that's the message that they've been trying to believe and struggling with. And really, that's the situation that we live in today, right? Like, like, how can I give my time to God when it seems like I have no time? Or how can I give my money away when it seems like I have no money? Or how can I risk my reputation for my faith when it seems like my reputation is the main thing I have? Or how can I not be consumed by worry when it seems like my life is so insecure all the time? Uh, How can I let God 
dictate things about my life, like the way I use sex, when it seems like sex might be the only thing that actually makes life worth the living. You know, that, do you ever wrestle with any of these questions as you think about following God and what you're doing with your life? Uh, I think we all do. And the way that God addresses that tension is through this idea of a test in this text. Uh, it's, a, it's a story about a test. And so what I want to look at tonight is I want to look at the test. Uh, I want to look at the nature of the test and what it is. And then I want to look at the purpose of it. And then I want to look at the outcome of it, right? So nature, purpose, outcome. And so the nature of it is pretty clear, right? It's in verse 2. God says, take your son your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him as a burnt offering on the mountains, which I shall tell you. Anybody have a problem with that? Right? It doesn't sound too good. Um, and there's a big question lo- that might be looming for you, which is that, like, how could God do this? Anybody think about that while we read it? Like, how we know, and an interesting thing is, in the Bible, it's, God says, like, you shall not sacrifice your child ever. And so we know that God hates child sacrifice. And so why, why on earth would God call Abraham to do it? But what I want you to see tonight is that, you know, that the original readers of this story, the people who read it first, would not have been confused by this. And Abraham certainly wouldn't have been confused by it. Because if you lived in that culture 4,000 years ago and you heard sacrifice your son to this God, everyone would be like, yeah, that's what the gods do. The gods can demand anything, including your son, and you got to do it. Uh, so that would not be confusing to Abraham or anyone in that culture at that time. But the thing that would be confusing would be, why would God ask Abraham to sacrifice this child? Because so far, all of God's promises have been about Abraham having offspring through which he would bless the whole world, right? And uh, they had a really, like, this is a miracle child we talked about a few weeks ago. And what we talked about is how the fate of the world is really bound up in Abraham having offspring and God blessing the world, fixing, redeeming the world through Abraham's offspring. And this is his only son, and God says, sacrifice him. You know, it would be like, imagine if the fate of the world hinged on you getting a 4.0 this semester. And then someone was like, so that's the scenario, by the way, you can't ever go to class. You would just be like, no, like it's impossible, right? There's no way that this can happen. And, that, and so what you need to see is that that's what the test is like for Abraham. God has said, I'm going to save the world, and it's going to be through the offspring of Abraham and Sarah, Abraham and your wife. P.S., I need to kill your only son, though. I need you to kill your only son, even though both of you are way too old to ever have kids again. And amazingly, Abraham goes. He starts on his way, you know, and it's, if you look in kind of verses 3 through 10 up here, he cuts the wood, they pick a spot, he gets his son Isaac to carry the wood up there, and Isaac's like, what are you doing? And he says, God will provide. But imagine the inner turmoil, right? You know, someone who recently had a son, this text strikes, you know, hits home a lot more to me. Imagine the inner turmoil as he puts the wood on his son's back and has him carry it up to the altar. And in this story, they get to the spot and they build the altar and they lay out the wood and he ties up his son and they 
he's about he lifts up the knife to slaughter his son and it's like th- if this were a TV show this would be like the commercial break like if you read the Hebrew text the original text there's like a there's a notation that says like this is a breaking point like take a commercial break um, and so before so I want to pause there for a minute and step back and think about what Abraham is thinking you know in verse 5 like Abraham tells his servants like we're going to go up there and I and the boy will come back to you in verse 8, when Isaac asks, like, what's going on? He's like, God will provide the lamb. And I want you to think about why he says those things. Do you think he was just saying that to make his, those people feel better? Like, lying? Or could it be because, you know, he didn't want Isaac to know until it was the last moment? Or could it be because he actually believed that God could find a way? I heard a story about a tribe in Papua New Guinea. And it was one of the, you know, island. No one, no Westerners have ever come to this island. And in the 1980s, some Christian missionaries make their way to this island. And they, there's this tribe called the Moke people in Papua New Guinea. And uh, the missionaries wanted to tell these people the good news about Jesus. And so they had to learn the language and they had to find a way to, like, communicate you know, like, you live on an island, and they pulled out maps, and they were like, this is where you are in the world, and this is what the world is like, because these people had never left, and, and their, the way they went about sharing their faith with these people is that they acted out the stories, they just started at the beginning of the Bible and started acting them out, you know, Genesis 1, Genesis 2, and so on, and they came to this story, and they, and they were acting it out, and they did that thing where they, they stopped, they said, you know, like, the whole village would gather each time they acted out a Bible story. And so they stop at the point where the knife is raised and they say, come back next week. And amazingly, one of the things that happened is that, so they were living among these people. So some of the people went up and talked to these missionaries throughout the week and four different men approached the missionary. They never heard the story in their life, never read the Bible before. And they said, we know that Abraham will obey, and we also know that God will provide a substitute lamb. Based on what we've already heard from the book of Genesis so far about Abraham and about this God. And how does it turn out, right? I'll read it again for you, verses 11 through 14. But the angel of the Lord called to him and he said, Abraham, Abraham, and he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham looked, lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by the horns. Uh, God provides the substitute lamb. So that's the, te- that's the nature of the test. But what I want to turn to now is why? What is the purpose of the test? Why would, you know, why would, God knows everything, right? Why does he need to test? Like, doesn't he know exactly what Abraham's heart and mind are like? Uh, wouldn't God know the outcome of the test before it happened? Uh, and so the question is, why? If, he, if God knows that, why? And the answer, I think, is that it's not about what God learns about Abraham so much as it is about what Abraham learns about God through this test. Now, so I want to think about what did Abraham learn about God? What did God want to show Abraham through this test? 
And the first thing he learns is that he needed to put God before everything. Like, this is a God that you need to put, you know, I think we all tend to kind of compartmentalize God into one section of our life, but then we've got our family part and our school part and our friends part. And so the first thing Abraham would have learned is that, you know, it's a God part at the top, and everything kind of filters out out of that, no matter how precious it is. Uh, This God, in this story, can bear the weight of being your everything. This is a God who will come through for you. He doesn't promise that it will make sense at various points along the way. He doesn't promise that it won't be extraordinarily hard like it is for Abraham in this story. But he does promise that he will always come through. The second thing Abraham learns is that God is different than every other God, like the gods who will allow you to sacrifice your own son for them. And you might kind of look at the story. I'm sure some of us in this room are kind of like, yeah, this is really primitive, though. Like, we don't slaughter our children, dude. Like, we don't do that anymore. No one actually worships this way. Like, come on. Sacrifices. But to you, I want to say, really? You should look up how many people committed suicide after the stock market crash in 2008. When their fortune failed them. Uh, you know, how many, think about a college campus and how many college students put their health at risk to get decent grades by not sleeping, by eating poorly, and everything in between. I want us to think about worship in those terms. You know, worship is what you give your life to. Wor- you know, we think of worship as singing, but really worship in the Bible is what do you give your life to? What consumes you? What do you give your energy to? What do you give your thoughts to? When you get a free moment, where does your mind go? That's what you're worshiping. What will you most readily shift around time in your schedule for? And that's what worship is. Uh, That's how you find out what your God really is. And the question is, if you think about that and you think like, okay, I think I have a handle on what are some of the things I worship is, what will it demand of you? And can it ultimately deliver? Think about that for a minute. You know, then when the stock market crashed, a bunch of people found out, no, it will demand a lot of me and it cannot ultimately deliver. And through this test, God's telling Abraham, I know it seems like having a son can deliver you. Think about the fact that in this culture, having a family was literally everything, you know, it's the equivalent of having a lot of money today. Having a family was everything. And he's saying, I know you think Isaac can deliver you. I know it seems like Isaac can give meaning to your life. I know it seems like you can use Isaac to save yourself. And I get that. But what you really need is me. I'm the one who saves. Other gods can demand everything from you and they will not deliver. So he learned that. But the last thing he learned is that he learned about the Lord's faithfulness in a way that he could never have learned any other way. He came to know this God more deeply in this moment. Uh, I want to ask you, what test of faith are you going through right now? You think, what's like the point, you know, when, if you think about following God, what's the point where you think, you know, I can't follow God that far? Can't give my 
friendship life over to him. I can't give my dating life over to him. I can't give my school life over to him. What is it for you? Another question is, what's going on in your life right now that makes it really hard to believe that God has a good plan for you? You know, what's that thing where you're like, good plan? This plan sucks. Look at my life. You know, maybe like Abraham, you've waited and waited and waited and waited and waited and waited for God to do something for you, and he hasn't yet. What does God want from you in the midst of that? He wants you to allow him to be the one, to bear the weight of all your hopes and dreams. He wants you to obey him and trust just because he's good, just because it's the best way to live. And so I want to close by asking the question, how can you do it? The outcome of the test. What do we ultimately get out of this test that can help us through those questions we've been talking about Uh, And what we get out of it is that, first of all, salvation, God's salvation will not and cannot be accomplished by human effort. You getting God is not going to be accomplished by you. You know, you being saved is not going to be accomplished by you. God will see to it. This God will see to it. God, did you notice how in this story, like, God freely gave what he required for his plan of salvation to go forward. You know, this plan of salvation that culminates in another little, you know, another sacrifice of an only son, Jesus Christ. You know, every other God will require everything from you and not deliver, and this one gives himself. You know, 2,000 years after this story, on the same mountain, amazingly, God sends his son to die. And it's the, you know, it's the, this story points to that story. And when Jesus cries out, there's no replacement. He's the lamb. He's the one who saves. God is pr- providing in that moment what he requires of us. Because we're people that have turned away and pursued all kinds of other false gods, uh, the requirement is to be cast out. And, and so because we, God wants us, he says, I will, cast, I will be cast out in their place so that I can have them. He's taking the Abraham story and magnifying it to save us. And that's, you know, that's what the first book of the Bible and every book of the Bible is about. It's a, it starts with God as a king. God is a king at the beginning of Genesis. The whole world is his, and we see that your life will only feel like life, and it will only make sense if you surrender to this king, if, if you live like he wants you to. But the thing is, none of us can do it. It's not that you need to like fix a few things in your life, and then you're good, or you need to work harder. It's that you will never, ever get there. You will never be enough unless God himself is enough for you. If God provides what he requires for salvation, then we can be free. We can live, we can give away our lives because we are now free, not because we have to or else God will slam the hammer down, but because we get to, because it's the best way to live. Uh, seven years ago now was the 
2010 Vancouver Winter Olympics. Anybody remember those? You were probably like, I don't know, in elementary school at some time, at some point. And uh, that was the one, you remember, you know, Sean White, the redheaded snowboarder dude that everybody loves was in that games. And I just happened to be watching it. I'm not that into Olympics, but, you know, for whatever reason, I was watching the half pipe event, you know, the half pipe, you go back and forth and do crazy, amazing tricks. And uh, Sean White in that event won the gold medal. And he had locked it up even before his last run. So, like, uh, the last run was this formality, right? And the commentators are like, what's he, like, he can't lose the gold. What's he going to do? He could literally just slide down the middle of it and be done and have the gold medal. And instead of that, what happened is that Sean White did one of the most amazing snowboard runs ever and landed for the first time in the history of the sport a double McTwist 1260. (laughs) And the place erupts. And it's, it's, it's this, you know, if you know snowboarding, this is the most amazing thing that's happened. And it happened on a run that did not actually matter. What I want you to see is that following this God means you're like Sean White on that last run. Except you didn't earn the gold. God gave you the gold. But he says, you have the gold, you have me, you have my love, you have the security of always having me. Now go do, you know, go, go live for me. Go try things. Go love out of the love that I've given to you. Love freely, not because you're going to lose my love if you don't perform every day, but because you were made for this. You know, Sean White lands that trick. Uh, because the pressure is all off and he's just made for it. And that's the life that God offers to people. He says, let me take the pressure off so that you can live the life that you were made for, which is sacrificial love for those around you. And giving and giving and giving because you've been given to by him. You know, every other God says, give me everything. Yukon says, give me everything. Let's face it, it does. This God says, I give everything, even my only son. And what I get out of it is you. I want you back with me. Uh, So let's go out in that hope tonight. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we pray that we would be able to love freely like you intended, uh, because we now know Christ. We now know the lamb who was sacrificed in our place. We pray, uh, I think of all of us that are facing trials that uh, seem very insurmountable. I pray that you would meet us in those trials and be faithful. Show us your faithfulness, God. And most of all, I pray that we would find our life in the substitute lamb. Go with us tonight, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.